Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Lord, we welcome your spirit. We welcome your presence. We thank you, God, that you do the work. And we get to participate in what you're already doing. Thank you that you're a gentle God that nudges, that whispers, that gently guides us forward, that makes us lie down in green pastures when we want to keep doing, that you call us first to wait and to receive before we are commissioned and go. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do a work this morning in the garden, in us, that you would stir in our hearts um, openness and willingness to be obedient to your calling and a willingness to, to be unified on things of the Spirit. I pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? So good to be back. I've been gone a couple of weeks, and you've had to endure Bill's messages, and there's more here today than there have been over the last couple of weeks. Should I take that personally? Yeah. So glad I, I could bring the, the crowd. Just kidding. It was the promise of macadamia nuts uh, uh, that brought <laughs> actually. So uh, we'll all be lined up and waiting yes. afterwards. Hopefully not to be disappointed. Pineapples for my favorite. Um, 
It's good to be back. I was in London with our friends from St. Mary's. Uh, they, they led a Holy Spirit conference and they asked me to come and teach on the kingdom of God. And so I was able to share kind of what we've shared over the last year and a half with them and um, had some amazing stories come out of that. And Chris Jones and John Peters, for those of you that know them, they're friends of ours that are in the UK. They say hi. So um, I told them you said hi back. So that's cool. Um, and then I got to go on vacation, which was wonderful. And it's funny because today I think my wife's sitting on Bill's team, um, which is odd. No, you're not. You're on mine. Thank you, babe. Appreciate that. We're going to jump in. Bill and I are going to ping pong back and forth. Um, this isn't a competition. This is about us doing this together. <laughs> and it's been fun. And I love, I love, I love doing this with him. So we're going to jump in with, uh, with Bill, where Bill left off last week. Jesus tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, not to evangelize the world and take, you know, take the world for Christ. He said to wait for the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered to live as witnesses to the world. Everywhere you go, you will be a witness, a, a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he says, basically. And so they do that. Um, and so we pick up in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And Bill, why don't you go ahead and read that for okay. us, since you We're, have the words down. Yeah. We're in uh, Acts chapter 2. If anybody uh, wants to uh, open it up, we've got a few more passage or books uh, on, the, on the side there. If anybody needs one, uh, we'll be happy to, to get you one. Can somebody help us out on this side? Uh, thanks, Greg and others. Uh, just uh, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Good. Thank you. Anybody else? Cool. All right, uh, we're on page 758 in in the green uh, green one here. So, um, oh, you didn't have sorry, yeah, one? I forgot mine. <laughs> That's because you have it memorized. That's not, not true. Not true. <laughs> so we're in Acts chapter two, and uh, we'll pick the story up when it says, "When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly." A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to them to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered in bewilderment because each one of them was hearing their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts from Judaism or to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, every one of us hears them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed, perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some of them concluded, however, making fun of them, saying they've had too much wine. Yeah. So before we jump into this text, I want to um, kind of focus in on one word, the word Pentecost. We're celebrating Pentecost Sunday, celebrating this event and what it represents. But for us to grasp that, I think we need to go back and to understand what, 
what the community in the first century was celebrating at that time. Pentecost is the Greek word for 50th. It was 50 days after Passover. So Jesus uh, was resurrected and spent 40 days with his disciples. Disciples wait for about 10 days and they're gathered in the upper room, 120 of them, celebrating what is known to them as the festival of weeks or the, or the feast of weeks, which was an Old Testament uh, time of, of coming together as the people of Israel to remember um, that God has, has provided for them. So they, the festival of weeks was about celebrating um, the first harvest. So you'd bring your, your offering to God and give 10% of your first fruits to God in all that he's given. So it was a sacrifice of thanksgiving and it was a sign of, of God's provision. So that was one element of the festival of weeks. That same festival during that time period uh, that that festival be, festival became the second largest national holiday for the Jewish community. It was the day they celebrated God giving them the Torah, the law, and making a covenant with the Israelites. So we go to Exodus 19. So go to Exodus 19. We're going to read this. This was a time when every Jew throughout the throughout the world would gather in Jerusalem to remember what God did at Mount Sinai. If you recall in the story of Exodus, we know that the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt and God freed them out of the hands of the Egyptians and he took them away. And in Exodus 19, there's this, uh, there's this recording of the events of what happens with the people of Israel and God. And this is a moment in time that they celebrate and remember. So this is what it says. Go to uh, Exodus 19. So the people of Israel have been freed. And in verse 4, God is speaking to Moses, telling the people what he's going to do. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the, the earth is mine, the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God tells the people of Israelite or people of Israel, to prepare to, to have this covenant, to prepare to meet with God at, the Mount, si at Mount Sinai. So he tells them that they're, what they're going to be is for, for him, um, priests to all the other nations. And what do priests do? Well, they represent God to earth, God to the people. And they represent the people of the earth to God. They're, they're intercessors in two ways. Does that make sense? So they represent God to, to the people and the people to God. And so he says, for me, you will be that for all of the world. And you will be a holy nation. You will be set apart for my purpose. And you will be a treasured possession. So you will be all this if you obey my commandments. And then he goes on and gives him the commandments. Now, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But I wanted to just to read uh, a couple of the, the significant events that happened. So he tells them to prepare. So they go and they, they wash their clothes. They prepare. And then they're going to go and meet with God. Now skip down to verse 17. It says this. Um, then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. Because the Lord ascended on it with fire or in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Does this sound familiar? Does the language sound borrowed now from Acts chapter 2? 
or vice versa. The point is, Luke is trying to tie the significant event of Exodus 19 and all that it represents to the story of what's going on in Acts chapter 2. That this was the time when the nation of Israel was birthed. That the people of God were, were given purpose, were given covenant, were given identity. God brought the law down and he comes, when he comes down, his presence ascends as fire, descends as fire. There's, there's sound like a trumpet. There's violent shaking. It's absolutely frightening, if you can imagine. And God comes and He gives them the law. And this is what they were celebrating in the first century. They were remembering what God did back then, but it had so much more, mm-hmm. um, so many more implications. You want to talk about covenant? You want to... You, you go with that one. And, oh, on the, yeah. Okay, so, so for them, this was about uh, making a covenant where God... Would, uh, would, would act on their behalf, where they would become the, the, the kingdom of priests, where they would be set apart as holy. And so for them, this was about a group of people becoming representatives of God on earth. Mm-hmm. That God would dwell in their midst and, be, um, and, and they would represent God on earth. Um, it was an invitation to, uh, to be in communion with God. So early scholars or, and rabbis when they read this text from Exodus 19, the, it's, it's like a marriage ceremony. It's like a marriage between the divine and humanity. Um, so it's really, do you want to go or do you want me to keep going? No, that's fine. Okay. The, 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 one, the one key thing that I wanted to, to come back to on this, and, and I thought you were going to go a different direction, so apologize for that. But Thank the, you. The, you the, really confused me there. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I know I could tell the really? confusion right yeah. um, Sorry. Uh, Thanks, Phil. <laughs> yes, welcome back. Um, no, the, the, the one thing you mentioned in the, in the first service, and I, I want you to talk about this again, is Heschel's oh, yes. uh, I can f- read that. phrase on that. Because remember last week we were talking about how the Holy Spirit comes to enable us not to do something first, but to be someone first. That also echoes the Acts chapter 19 passage where God calls his people to be someone, to be his people, to be a holy people. Their holiness is the condition on which they can actually be useful to God as a kingdom of priests. And then when the Holy Spirit, or rather when when God descends on the mountain and that cloud rests on the mountain, there is a definite understanding that this is not for show. Mm. that something supernatural is occurring, and it is that also which they're representing and celebrating on the day of yes. Pentecost. Yes. So, so uh, if you can imagine this event, Mount Sinai, the, the smoking mountain, the earthquake, the, the trumpet, I mean, just this massive scene, and the people of Israel, like we're talking like a million people, maybe more, all gathered in one place. This was a significant moment in history. And uh, there's a Jewish rabbi, scholar named Abraham Heschel, and he wrote um, with Gordon Tucker in Heavenly Torah, a book that he wrote about the generations of Abraham. Uh, he says this, they, the, they, uh, the rabbis, they talk about a Jewish tradition that says the whole earth was silent at Sinai, that not even a bird chirped, as everywhere heard the voice of God inviting humanity into connection with its maker. The ancient rabbis spoke, this is before Jesus, the ancient rabbis spoke of tongues of fire that went out to all the nations so all people could hear this divine voice in a language they could understand. Before Jesus is around, before this day, ancient rabbis talked about a time when, when 
tongues of fire would go out to communicate what God was speaking at Mount Sinai thousands of years earlier. And Heschel is picking that up from this time in Israel's history. So when he talks about the ancient rabbis, he's talking about the rabbis that were instructing the people at around the time that Jesus was alive and walking the earth. So the symbols of the event that we're talking about here in Acts chapter 2 have an historical background for the Jews living in Jerusalem at the time. They would have recognized the debates of the rabbis as being lived out in the events of the day of Pentecost. Does that, does that make sense? So that Pentecost for them is a celebration, first of all, of God's faithful provision to them, the festival of weeks which celebrates God's blessed us, we are giving thanks, but also then God's given us His covenant so that we can be partners with Him in saving the world, right? And so as we go through this I I event, you'll notice, and Darren's already alluded to this, but then the, the pattern of replication is deliberate and intentional. We begin, first of all, the 50th day, the day of Pentecost has arrived. They're all gathered together in one place, this time in Jerusalem, previously around the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai. But here they're all gathered together instead of one man on the mountain. They're all together in an upper room, uh, gathered, uh, uh, waiting, which Jesus told them. And then, suddenly, the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. In, Acts, in, excuse me, in, in, in Exodus 19, it's the sound of the trumpet, the sound of the shofar, the sound of that ram's horn being blown that echoes over the landscape. It is not a trumpet sound as in a bugle or a, a brass instrument similar to, to ours. It is this, this deeply resonant soul shaping. If you've ever heard one played by somebody who knows what they're doing, or if you've been in in, in Israel or in in Switzerland and heard heard that that, yeah, that Alpen horn or what? Sorry, I was in Israel. You, uh, yeah, when I was there. I heard, I, 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 sorry, we're moving on. We're moving <laughs> on. But if if you've been in Switzerland and heard that that Alpen horn, the the point is not to hear the sound. The point is to feel the air resonate around you. That's the imagery that is used here. So it's not like everybody's hair's blown around or they're watching the curtain stir. It is, it is as if they are hearing that kind of resonant sound without any physical evidence of its occurring. It's like when an earthquake happens here, right? We're, we, we look around to see if the... But there, they're hearing this rumble in the air that they can only describe as the sound of a violent, rushing wind. And the key on this is to remember that for Israel, day of Pentecost, uh, the, the day of, of, of Sinai, is the birth of the nation of Israel in the first place and the birth of the church in the second place. What does a doctor do when a baby's born? Checks to make sure that the baby is breathing that it has the breath of life in it. That's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit, the, the, the pneuma of God, the ruach in the Old Testament, the breath of God breathes into this new body of believers and they come to life as the body of Christ. They come to life as, as the church. Do you see what he's doing here? So that whatever phenomenology occurs, and we'll talk about it, it's not about the, 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 the experience or the phenomenology. It is about what's happening 
as a result of this. Uh, Israel was not taking pictures of Mount Sinai. They were defined by it. They were shaped by it. It wasn't a, mem a memorial of an event that took place. It was, it, was, it was how do we now live, and for the church then, that celebration of the Spirit is how do we live in the light of the resurrection that has brought us into a new way of being, right? So the Holy Spirit comes, sound of a violent rushing wind from heaven, filling the whole house, right, where they were sitting, and then... Uh, they saw what seemed to them to be tongues of fire. So Darren, uh, in the passage in uh, Exodus, talks about this fire which represents the, 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 the chavod, the glory of God coming to rest. Remember, Moses sees a bush that is burning without being consumed. It's the only... Remember, we're struggling with the limitations of language here. How do you describe something that looks like fire but it's not fire? that has, has some of the properties of fire, but not the, the, the essential property of fire, which is the consumption of a fuel. How do you, how do you describe that? Well, that's how you describe it. It's, it, it, looks like, it looks like tongues of fire, but here's the significant part. In Exodus 19, it comes to rest on one mountain and one man. In Acts chapter 2, it comes to rest on every single person, man, woman, and child in that room at that time. In that particular case, in Exodus, not, not pointing at you particularly, That's cool. um, but, but it, it, was, it was the glory that came and, 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 and Moses had to cover his face to protect the people from the fading glory. That's how brilliant it was. Here, they are all walking around. You can see, watch each other's eyes, right? As they're looking at each other and noticing eyesight just above their heads. What are you looking at? Wait, me too? Right? I'm seeing this. Where's a mirror? Well, we don't have mirrors for another couple thousand years. What do we got? You know, how can we... I can see something. Do you see where the Holy Spirit comes? And this is going to become critical as we go forward in this, that this is not just an isolated event so people can say, guess what happened to me this morning? My hair caught on fire. No, it is the empowerment, the glory of God, the coming of the Spirit to rest on each individual in there. It instantly, in a heartbeat, levels the playing field of who is useful for God in saving the world. Do, do you see what he's doing here? Um, do you want to go on to the next part, or do you no, want I mean, me to keep going? I'm on a roll here. My so part from the first service. <laughs> okay. So no, go ahead. No, no, I'm. We'll podcast the first. No, <laughs> no, you're killing it. Go, you're no. doing good. Well, okay. You so, want me to go on the next part? I'll, I'll do it. You no, sit. you go you ahead. Sit. Yeah. You sit. I'm getting oh, old, and, Bill, old and tired. Bill, yes. Know, that's what happens when you get old. Hi, I'm tired. Darren, and I'm a Mac. <laughs> Yeah, it worked better this time yeah, than the first time. The first time, really bombed. Okay. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, help us. Um, verse 4, all of them were filled. So with what Bill's saying, it's, it's great because this is such a good part. Yeah. To compare it back to Exodus, going back to the original story, one guy is interceding for all of them. It will say that the, the earthquakes, the, 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 the fire... The, the thunderous voice from God, Israelites will eventually say, look, we can't handle that Moses. You speak to him alone and you, you tell us what he says. 
And so Moses becomes the intercessor where he alone receives the glory of God in his face. You read this all, all throughout Exodus. Um, and so what's going on here is Luke is saying now everyone becomes Moses. You all have the glory. They all have the glory of God resting on them. Like he says, this levels of playing fields. There's, there's no super apostles, in other words. But that we all have access to, the, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The word tongues here is the Greek word xenoelia. It means other languages, known languages. Because then it goes on and lists all these other languages that are being spoken by these people. And what do they hear in, these, in, the, in the language? They hear praises being given to God. Now, you made a good point earlier in Genesis. There's a story where out of the rebellion of the human, humans rebelled against God, they, they were cooperating in their rebellion. And you read about the Tower of Babel being built where technology and, and their cooperation is displacing God and their worship of God. And that was going to be a problem. So God used language to confuse, confuse language so that they wouldn't work in cooperation and rebellion. So language was used to confuse people. And then this particular situation, it was used to, uh, uh, to uh, separate community. In this place, languages are being used to unify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Language is being used to bring praises to God, not rebellion against God. But so here's, so do you want to add anything on that well, particular? Yeah, because the, the key thing on this, which you forgot. <laughs> oh, you're good, man. Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Loves are coming so, off. So, so, so in that, in that, in that, <laughs> in that kidding. passage, remember the reason God confuses the languages. <laughs> it's not pretty. Uh, when God confuses the languages, is it's it's to prevent cooperation because he comes to the conclusion, if these people are allowed to continue to cooperate at this level, there's nothing they can't do. So it is a confusion of languages for self-protection. But now, as we come to the new age, the new start, the new birth, right? It is a joining together in a heart language to enable God's people to cooperate together for God's purposes throughout the world. No wonder the church grew with such rapidity, because they were they were they were they were using it, taking taking advantage of the breath of the Spirit for the unification, for the bringing together. It's deep tragedy that today the church argues about the very gift of the Spirit which was intended to bring us into unity. That we are intended to work. The Spirit has brought unity. We're intended to, to bring people in and cooperate with the Spirit, Spirit of unity. But instead we're fighting over, over, over this, whether the gift or the, the work of the Spirit or whatever. God's intent was, and, and you can see it, evident in what happens, God's intent was that people would recognize in the work of the Spirit, in brothers and sisters all over the place, a common bond that would draw them together. So that when they heard these known languages being spoken, it draws a crowd that fast. If you've ever been in a foreign country, right, and you hear your language spoken, your heart language spoken, you, you're... you're I, where are you from? You listen for the accent. You must be from Alabama. I've got folks there. We've, you know, do you know people in, in New York? You ever had that happen? I've got people listening. You know, oh, you're from Canada. Yeah, where? Calgary. Oh, I got a relative in Toronto. 
Now, for those of you Americans, you might not recognize that Calgary is in one part of the country and Toronto is like as far from, from Calgary as New York is from Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, we had lunch yesterday. What? But anyway, you, the, the, the point is you listen. You listen and your heart is drawn, isn't it? Your heart is drawn to people who, who speak that language. And, 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 and this is what the intent is. When these people gather together, drawn by their own heart languages, recognizing this, they don't speak this as learned people. They speak this. These are all Galileans. Not only are they not learned people, they're country folk. And they're speaking my language. And listen to what they're saying. Listen. They're talking about the glory of God. They're magnifying and glorifying God. So not only so does the Spirit come to enable us to be the new Moses, to intercede. Jesus says, you will be witnesses to me. We become the new body of Christ so good. to help the world, to save the world in partnership with God. Let me pull that. That was actually a good point I wanted to make. In Genesis, we see that God dwells with His people in perfect harmony. Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, sin enters in the world. And ever since then, God has been... Um, there was a separation from God and humanity. And He's been working on a loving pursuit to dwell and be and walk in, among us, to, to be present with us, for us to, to be in right relationship with God. And so we see God draw first a people... Uh, he choo chooses Abraham. He says, you guys will represent me on earth. And then what does he do? He, he, he brings his presence mm -hmm. in the center of them. And so we see that um, he tabernacles with them, which means dwells with them. And what separates Israel from everyone else? God's presence. And then eventually they go and they get Jerusalem and they build a temple. And God's presence comes and will dwell in that temple. But it's not going to be there forever. And, and in fact, if, 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 if the, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a significant moment because only throughout the Old Testament were certain people or specific people for a specific time and on a specific occasion were people filled with the Holy Spirit. It was very unique and it wasn't forever. And God, there's promises in the Old Testament through the prophets that God would one day dwell with His people, that He would walk among them. Among them. And what happens? He sends His Son, Jesus, flesh and blood, presence of God dwelling and walking with His people. But He's not finished yet. Mm -mm. He goes and we see here that the Holy Spirit fills everyone. Now God is dwelling with His people. Flesh and blood. All of us filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's so a good. movement. So it goes good. out. So good. That we become the witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's why Pentecost is such a big deal. This is why, why we're not celebrating a, a memorial. Mm-hmm. We're not celebrating something that doesn't exist. We're celebrating that this is the truth today. That He fills us for the same reasons He filled them back then. Mm -hmm. I want to add this thing real quick on a side note. Just as we kind of navigate, what does it mean to be a Spirit-led community? How do, we, how do we continue moving forward? So, on a side note, I want to talk about tongues for a moment. Um, so, the, the tongues that... Were, that uh, Luke is talking about is the word xenoelia, known languages.
Okay? Paul refers to, in 1 Corinthians, two different types of tongues. Okay? There's xenoelia, known languages, where you could be speaking a, a known language that people can recognize. That's what's happening here. But there's also glossolalia, an unknown language. Okay? And um, Paul talks about glossolalia being a gift for all of the believers. That we all have access to this gift. Um, and that we, we, it's a personal prayer language designed for the edification of the person. When he's talking about tongues in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about corporate worship. And I've grown up in a church that didn't really believe in this stuff. And when, when I've met with a lot of Christians, they're, they're open to the things of the Spirit. They want the prophecy. They want words of knowledge. They want the healing. They want all of the discernment and all of that great stuff. But when you talk about tongues, they get really cautious and they start getting afraid. You don't want to mess with that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of us have these experiences. Some of us get really nervous around that stuff. But what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians is in a corporate setting, there are, there are times when tongues will be given and it needs an interpretation. It's given as a prophetic word or an encouragement. It's different than this. Okay, because they, they, they didn't need an interpretation. They, they, they knew what language they were speaking. I had, a, for example, um, I was in London uh, four and a half years ago before we planted our church and we were with 50 pastors or so praying um, at this, this time for specific church planners that were going to go from all parts of the world to different parts of the world. And this very timid, young, proper British woman gets up. She didn't say a word the whole time. And everyone's praying and we're, we're in a worship gathering and we're praying for this very unique couple that they're going to France. And this woman prays this passionate, loud prayer in French. I don't understand a word. I got chills because it was, it was with conviction. Um, and she just hands the mic over to the guy leading the gathering. And, and he looks kind of confused and says, Mary, you don't speak French, do you? And she said, not a, not a word of French. Um, and the people getting prayer, they're, they're just in shock because she just spoke perfect French in a dialect to where they were going in Marseille uh, and, and said very specific things to them that they were dealing with. Now, mm -hmm. In that moment, we didn't go, oh my gosh, how cool are the gifts. In that moment, all of us began to worship. Yeah. All of us were, were just shocked that God came in, yeah. sp spoke specifically to these two people, and there was an interpretation because they interpreted for him. That, that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians. And I wanted to just kind of ease the tension because what I've seen and what has happened throughout history is that the very thing designed to unify ethnicities, genders, people, Class, the diversity, has become the very thing that has mm -hmm. separated the mm -hmm. church, that have caused a, a, a division in the churches. And we want to be a spirit-led community. We want to seek after the gifts, pray for the gifts. Mm -hmm. We want to pray for tongues, but for prophecy and healing, all of that stuff. And we want to see the witness of Jesus Christ demonstrated in our gatherings. That people on the outside can say, God is surely in this place. Yeah. Amen? So I wanted to say there's, there's some biblical theology we can get to. We'll talk about those other gifts later. But what's specific to this incident is that tongues, xenoelia, known languages from people that didn't speak the language are being, are being heard from people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening in this particular passage. And what's fascinating um, is that this begins to fulfill the mission that, God, that Jesus said that needed to happen. Witness to all the nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's probably a critical point that we should just take yeah, just a, a, a second on. The, the point of all of these things is not so that we can say, look what I did. They always move beyond themselves. So here, yes. it's not, wow, isn't that cool? I hope somebody got that 
recorded. It is, it is God's receiving glory at the end of the day. In, when the passage that Darren referred to, uh, as, as we pray in, 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 in an unknown language, whether known or unknown to us, yeah. right? That's good. Uh, it, it's, it's for the edification of the body or for a, a, a prayer or worship or praise in the, in, in the church. It always goes beyond itself. As soon as it stops at the event, as soon as it stops at the experience, it disappears. As soon as it becomes the focal point, and having grown up in a traditional Pentecostal community, oftentimes that event, that moment, that experience was the goal. Without recognizing in the scripture, it is never the goal. It is always beyond itself. So I'd always, I would have people as a pastor say, well, do I have to? No, of course you don't have to, but why, why stop short of, of the direction that God, but don't stop there either. Keep pushing in to what God intends this for, which is prayer and worship and witness and empowerment of the Spirit. In fact, for Peter, as he goes on to, to, to explain to everybody, remember, people are saying the last passage that we had up on the screen is, what is this? What in the world is going on? And Peter says, that's exactly the right question. What in the world is going on is what God told us would be going on in the world in the book of Joel. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That is, in these last days, please notice what Peter has just said. Remember who we're talking about here. In the book of Luke, volume one of the two-volume work, Peter never gets it right. He is always stumbling. He is, and he is, remember, paradigmatic. He's representative of the rest of us. We're, 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 we're trying hard. We're, we're kind of seeing things. We're running into stuff. And, 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 and what is it that makes a difference now? The last words we have heard from Peter in volume one are, I never knew him. I'm not one of them. I don't know what you're talking about. That's it. That's the last word we have heard from Peter for all intents and purposes in volume one. So what's the first word we hear from Peter in volume two? This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. All of a sudden, he gets it. Everything lines up. The power is plugged in. He is now able to speak with articulation and power in front of a huge crowd of people. Remember, he denied Jesus afraid of a servant girl, now stands in front of thousands of people and makes declaration of what this is all about. How does that happen? Well, the Holy Spirit came upon him. What else would you expect? And then he stands in a prophetic tradition and says, I need to announce to you the beginning of the last days the end times. This is an eschatological moment. The speaking in tongues, the inbreaking of the Spirit, all of this language. God is on the move. Set your watches. Countdown has begun. The end of the world as we know it is at hand, which is precisely what Jesus said was going to be occurring. So what do we do at the end of time? We desire to be filled with the Spirit so we can be useful to God in saving the world. That's the whole point 
of what, what we're talking about. So good. And so Peter preaches this message and the response is they repent and believe and then they're baptized. And it says at the end of Acts 2 that 3,000 people are saved. And that again pulls us back to Exodus. What happens in Exodus after they bring the law from Exodus 20 to 31? You, you get the decrees and the laws that were given to the people of Israel, separating them from everyone else, making the covenant with God. What happens? What does Moses, Moses discover when he comes down the mountain? They're worshiping Baal. They made a golden calf. And God brings judgment. And when God brings down the law, guess what happens? 3,000 Israelites are killed. Exodus 32. When the Spirit of God falls on the people, how many are saved? 3,000. It's a direct link because God is birthing a new people. This is the birth of the new church, the, the church. This is the birth of God's people. This is the, the, the fulfillment of Pentecost, the fulfillment of the covenant that God made in Exodus 19. And people are hearing praises from God. And so I want to I share, what does it mean when we're filled? Because we talk about the phenom- phenomenology. We talk about revivals <laughs> where it's me and God. And we want to, we, as some of us will go to that extreme where it's just, it's all about the experience, the encounter. But this, that's not what it's for. It's never about you just to sit in the presence of God. It's right. to be sent out into the world as the witness. That means that you become a priest to the world. That means that the way you live mm-hmm. models a life so that the world can see that there is that's a God. It. That's it. That means that when you gather in community, you don't bite each other with gossip. It means you serve, love, you lay down your life. Because that is the model we've been given. The only way we can do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way you can go from here to your work weeks when when it's depressing, when you're exhausted, when you don't have a second to think, to, to be a witness is to say, Lord, fill me this moment to be that witness. To deal with difficult neighbors, to deal with your arguing spouse, to be a good husband. You need the the God inside of you to show you how to do it. You need that power. Because churches for too long have said, the Bible says this, do it. The Bible says it, do it. But you're missing the key ingredient to the whole thing. We've never been called to do it alone. We've been given, it's not what we're missing, it's who we're missing. We've been given God... To dwell in us, to do the very things He's called us to do, and not even called or challenged, but simply invited us into fullness. That's what this is about. Mm -hmm. That we can stand before crowds and preach boldly, or we can sit behind quiet counters and pray, determined to see mountains moved. Movements don't start out of convenience. They start out of personal obedience. It's not about creating a movement. It's about us individually coming together saying, I want to be filled to be a good mom. I want to be filled to do the things that God's calling me to at school. I want to be filled to be a good boss, employee. I want to be filled. I want to walk into meetings. Lord, show me, reveal to me the things that you're up to in this room. Show me how to pray quietly, discerning the very, the very wind that's moving here. Let me help restore belovedness to people. That's our mission. That's what this is about. That's what the garden needs to be about as a community. Not building a bigger worship gathering experience. That's good. But sending disciples out who are empowered by the spirit of the living God.
That's what we're invited into. That's what we're celebrating today. So here's a couple of thoughts to close. And the Spirit's primary role is to glorify Christ and empower His followers as witnesses. He gives us gifts uniquely as individuals, but forms us as one body and transforms us into the likeness of Christ. Can we pray for this this morning? Can we spend some time seeking and waiting and inviting the Holy Spirit to minister to us? I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's do this um, as we wait. Just as a discipline, it's easy to get comfortable sitting. Can you stand with me and close your eyes? I know, um, and you can just get your eyes, keep your eyes closed. I know that it's, it's easy to condition ourselves to respond. And I think my experience is... The worship happens, let's get to the real stuff, the teaching, and then we check out and go. But for us, this is a moment where we pause and say, there is a living God who ministers to us today, as He did back then, that wants to use us as a body to minister to each other, to receive the Spirit, to encourage one another, to bless one another, to, 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 to fill in the needs that we have through each other. And that's what this time's about. So let's just close our eyes and pray and wait for a moment. Hearts are open. Well